Storehouse Dallas. So, today I'm starting a two-part series entitled The King of the Jews. Um, my purpose in this series is to lead us into this coming celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is two weeks from today. Um, and I want to get our hearts ready. Um, and so as we talk about the, the, this, who Jesus is as the King of the Jews, I want to talk about why that's important. Why do we call him that? See, when Jesus was crucified, Pontius Pilate nailed a sign right above the head of Jesus that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He wrote it in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, because he wanted to make sure that everybody that passed by could read it. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You know, when you buy an appliance, like an Instapot, those are pretty popular these days, the little manuals come usually in at least three languages. You got English, you got Spanish, and then you got French, which I always think is bizarre because, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm from Texas. I meet a lot of people that speak only English. I meet a lot of people that speak only Spanish, but I've never met one person that speaks only French, um, at least not in Texas. So, But praise God, the French-only speaking people know how to use their Instapots. Love those things. 30 minutes, and you've got like a home-cooked meal. It's incredible. You're welcome, Instapot. <laughs> so, king of the Jews in three languages. So everyone um, um, in town that walked by could see that sign, and they could read it. And what's more is that Jesus was crucified during the Jewish feast of Passover. So this is an annual feast, one of the three annual feasts where Jews from all across the region, or if they were scattered throughout the nations, they were required to come up to Jerusalem for this particular feast, Passover. So Jews from all over the world were in town that weekend. They saw this crazy set of events happening where this man was handed over to Pontius Pilate to be crucified, and it was hung over his head, king of the Jews. And those who rejected him as Messiah didn't like it. So why did it say king of the Jews? I mean, it didn't say king of the Americans. God bless America. It didn't say king of the Mexicans. It didn't say king of the Lebanese. It said king of the Jews. What is the significance of that title, and what is significant about it for you and I, who may not be Jewish? We're American, we're Mexican, we're Lebanese, whatever we are. Why is this important? Well, we don't fully know what Pontius Pilate's intentions are in hanging this sign, um, but I believe God was involved in this. That God wanted everyone to know that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the king of the Jews. And what was likely a title of mockery and humility by Pontius Pilate, and most likely a Roman power display saying, look at this, the Roman Empire has executed the king of the Jews. 
And he wanted everyone to know that. So what was mockery and humility by Pontius Pilate was a title of honor and dignity from God the Father. And it was a display of God's power over all the powers of hell. Because not only would this Jewish man die, he would rise in three days. Amen? So, by calling Jesus the king of the Jews, God was declaring that this Jesus who was crucified was the son of David. He was the promised heir to David's throne who would rule and reign the universe forever. He was prophesied he would rule both Jews and Gentiles and that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in our Old Testament about this coming Messiah to whom every nation would bow. So we're going to talk today and this week about how Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the son of David, the king of the Jews. And there's two primary ways that Jesus fulfilled these. Number one, in a heavenly way that began and continues to be fulfilled at his first coming. And then in an earthly way. The earthly way that Jesus, Jesus fulfills these prophecies has actually begun in our day. In our day, the day since you and I have been born. We're seeing these, these, this, the, the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies come to pass. And it will culminate and it will finish at his second coming. And that we will discuss next week. Sound good? All right, let's begin. So, King of the Jews. There's two important features about this title, King of the Jews, what it tells us about Jesus. Number one, he's a king. Number two, He's a Jew. We're going to start here. So, Jesus the Messiah, he was born of a Jewish woman, a young girl named Miriam. We know her as Mary, but her Jewish name, her mother and father called her Miriam. Her husband, Mary's husband, Joseph, Yosef, also a Jewish man. Now, he did not father Jesus in the flesh because Jesus, he was, he was uh, um, the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and, and he was conceived in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was born of this Jewish woman named Mary. But his father in standing, his earthly father, Joseph, Yosef, he was a Jewish man. So Jesus grew up Jewish. He was this this eternal word and wisdom of God that was in the beginning with God and in the beginning was God. He became flesh, but not just any flesh, Jewish flesh. He was born a Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. So the word, the eternal word of God takes on flesh, Jewish flesh, he is born, and eight days later, he loses a piece. Forever. <laughs> now, I joke and I laugh, but that's actually extremely significant, which is why I pointed out. Because Jesus is a Jew. He grew up going to synagogue. He grew up reading the Torah. He grew up talking to rabbis in the temple, even as a young boy. He, um, he, he grew up celebrating 
the, the Jewish feasts. He would go up with his parents and see them sacrifice grain, wheat, animals. He would go up to Jerusalem on Passover and he would see a lamb slain every year. You know, I imagine young Jesus seeing this lamb slaughtered every single year and thinking as a young boy, one day that will be me. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he grew up around various schools of rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and actually a few others. Um, eventually, he grew up and a, a group of Jewish men and women started following him around and they started calling him rabbi. In fact, those words were the first, that word was the first word out of Mary Magdalene's mouth when she realized that she was looking at the resurrected Christ as she visited his tomb. Rabbi, it's you. Jesus is a Jew. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Judah. That's where we get the name Jew. He was a Jew from the tribe of Judah, but he wasn't just any Jew. He was descended from a very important Jew named David. And this is significant. Why? Because God promised that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne of Israel and govern and rule the Jewish people and all the nations forever. So let's talk about this promise to David. You can turn your Bible to 2 Samuel 7. That's going to be kind of our core Old Testament prophecy about Jesus that we'll be covering this week and next week. So make sure you mark that in your Bible. Go home and meditate on it. But uh, before we read it, just to talk a few moments about David, we're familiar with him. He was a king over Israel. He um, was anointed by God through the prophet Samuel to be the king of Israel. And he delivered Israel from all their surrounding enemies um, and spent his whole life bringing uh, peace to all the borders of Israel so that by the time he died, his son Solomon came and ruled in a golden age of peace. So God made this special promise to David, not just a promise. He actually, he made a covenant. He bound himself by an eternal oath to David. And he said this in, uh, in second, actually a few more comments before we read it. Um, um, just to set up what we're, what we're coming to, um, at this time in history, the God of Israel was being worshiped inside of a big giant tent. It's called the tabernacle. Now this was a extremely nice tent, <laughs> Uh, um, beautiful adornments. If you read through Exodus, I mean, God is very detailed about what that tabernacle was going to look like and what the worship objects would look like and how the priests were supposed to handle these objects. I mean, it's, it is very detailed. God is very detailed. Um, um, but it, it's this massive tent. It's beautiful because of how it was adorned, um, but especially when the glory of the Lord showed up in this tabernacle. You know, I think God likes pretty things. I think God likes cellos. 
I love the cello. It's actually my favorite instrument. Um, God likes beautiful adornments for worship. If, if, if you struggle with that, just read your Old Testament. Look how detailed God is in making sure that the place of worship was beautiful and glorious. But it's especially beautiful and glorious when the beautiful one himself fills the temple. May his glory fill this temple. So, a beautiful tent, but it's still a tent. David, King David, he's looking at his big, beautiful royal palace built of the fine wood of the cedars of Lebanon. And he's looking around one day at that tent and saying, you know what? It doesn't seem right that a human king gets a big cedar palace and the God of the universe, the king of the universe, gets a tent. I've got an idea. I'm going to build God a really beautiful house. It's going to be awesome. Fine wood from, from Lebanon, and, and we're going we're gonna, to, we've got our work teams. Okay, I'm, he's getting out the blueprints. He's getting ready. And his buddy Nathan, who's a prophet, he hears it. He, he hears. David tells him, hey, I've got this great idea. I'm going to build God this awesome house. And, and everyone's going to see, and everyone's going to come worship. And Nathan's like, yeah, that's a great idea. God bless you. God be with you. And so the prophet blesses it. But then the prophet goes home. He goes to sleep and God visits him in a dream. And God says to Nathan, tell David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And so Nathan gets up. He delivers that part of the message to David. And then he continues here in 2 Samuel verse 7. Chapter 11. If you're there, look with me now. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Verse 11. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. It's very key. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So, God promised David a dynasty of kings, that one of his heirs would sit on the throne of Israel as king forever. This king would build a temple, and he would be called God's son. Now, what's important to note is that actually some of this did get fulfilled through David's offspring, Solomon. Solomon came into great power. God established and secured his kingdom. He had peace on all sides throughout his entire reign. Kings and queens from across the nations would come to listen to this man. God made his kingdom strong. This man built the temple of the Lord, a beautiful temple, a glorious temple. And the glory of God filled it and made it even more beautiful with his presence. 
And God treated Solomon like a son. And he disciplined him like a son, as any father would. But there's one part in this prophecy that did not get fulfilled. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. For all time, forever. These little words in this prophecy would govern the entire uh, ultimate fulfillment of this word, of this promise to David. For all time, forever. So if this was the prophecy, why did David's, why did his dynasty die out? Why did Israel, why, are there, why is there not a son of David sitting in Jerusalem today? Well, unfortunately, Israel was unfaithful to God. They disobeyed his covenant. They were unfaithful. They worshiped false gods. They oppressed the poor and the widow. They, even, they shed innocent blood. State legislated shedding of innocent blood, sacrificing their own children to these demonic principalities of the nations. And God is a father. He disciplined his sons. He scattered them. He first divided them into two kingdoms, a north and a south, and all of the kings of the north were wicked and evil. A few, we got a few good ones in the south. Praise the Lord. We love the south, right? We love the north, too. One nation under God. Amen. All the northerners are like, gosh, got to save that comment. Um the southern kingdom, it had a lot of bad kings too, but a few good ones. Um, but then it got so bad that God sent the king of Babylon and burned down the temple that Solomon built. And he scattered Israel to the nations and he, they were enslaved for 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And though Israel would return back after that seven year, 70 years of captivity, and though David's descendants were still around, a son of David, a king of the Jews, would not occupy the throne of Israel. There were the priesthood, there were the leaders of Israel, the descendants of David were there, Zerubbabel was very involved in the rebuilding of the second temple, but the throne of David was still vacant. They were still subject to Gentile kings. But the Jews remembered God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. They remembered that though God disciplined him as a father, that God's favor over the house of David would not be removed. And that was, David, one of your sons, one of your descendants, will sit on the throne and they will rule forever. So I want to take us to Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 9 quickly, because these share a couple of more important things about the son of David, about this king of the Jews, which will be very significant when we talk about how Jesus fulfilled them. Isaiah 11, verse 10 says, In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations, the Gentiles, will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Going down to verse 12, he will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, 
For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So not only will the son of David, the king of the Jews, rule on David's throne and build the temple of the Lord, but he will regather the scattered sheep of Israel from across the nations. He will rally the Gentiles to him, and he will be a banner of victory over all of the earth. This is the prophetic message about the son of David, the king of the Jews. He will rule the earth both Jews and Gentiles, and his kingdom and his peace will never end. So for centuries, generation after generation, the Jewish people, they remembered these promises. And they're crying out, God, remember your promise to your servant David. Remember that you said that one of his heirs would sit on his throne, that you would restore the kingdom of Israel, that you would regather us, that you would forgive our iniquity, and that righteousness and peace would flood this land forever. They cry out to this, redeem Israel. And finally, after hundreds of years, a man named Jesus comes on the scene. Matthew 1.1 says this, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Jesus begins ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. This is good news. This is The Jews are hearing this. They're like, what? what wait, the, the kingdom, the thing that we've been crying out for, the son of David, that we've, for generations our throne has been, vanquished, has been vacant, and you're saying that, this, that you're the son of David and that you're here? He's saying the kingdom of heaven is here. And people start to recognize it. There's blind men, two blind people, can't even see Jesus. And they cry out because they recognize the son of David. They say, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. But many who could see with their physical eyes could not see with the eyes of their heart. Six days before the Passover, Jesus entered Jerusalem, a great processional of palm branches. Now, we're going to commemorate this uh, next week. Um, as far as I know, we don't have plans for palms, but if you own a palm tree, bring some palms. Let's just wave them in the back. Um, <laughs> I love, I just, I love flags. I love palms. I love, you know, I'm just like, Lord, let's just have it all. Let's just have the whole dance team of David, you know, um, so anyway, love flags, love those palms. So we'll talk more about that next week. But, um, but as they're, 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 they've got all these palm branches and he's marching into Jerusalem on this donkey and they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is in a lot of the people that rejected him as Messiah, they got angry. They said, Jesus, rebuke these disciples right now. They're calling you the son of David. That's not right. You're not him. And Jesus said, if they don't cry out, the rocks will. 
There was there, God was stirring a cry in his people. He was opening eyes to see that this man was the son of David. This man is the king of the Jews. So what does this mean? What does it mean that he is the king of the Jews? What does it mean that he is the son of David? It means that all the promises of 2 Samuel 7, all the promises of Isaiah and all the prophets would be fulfilled in this man. That he would sit on the throne of Israel. That he would rebuild the temple of the Lord. That he would regather the exiles of Israel. That he would rally the nations to him. And that the government would rest on his shoulders and peace and prosperity would flood the nations for all of eternity. And he would be a banner of victory over them. So if Jesus is the son of David, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Because we just read all these prophecies and we look at the life of Jesus with our physical eyes and we look and see Jesus didn't fulfill a single one of these prophecies. He wasn't crowned as a king with a crown of glory. He was crowned with a crown of thorns and humility. He didn't regather the people of Israel. Um, In fact, they, they scattered as soon as he was handed over to the authorities. His best friends, his Jewish buddies, his disciples, as soon as Jesus gets arrested, all of them are gone. He didn't rally the Gentiles at all. We only have record of him speaking to a handful in his time and his ministry. He didn't build a temple. In fact, he prophesied that the temple that was standing in that day would be utterly destroyed, that every stone would be thrown down. And about 40 years later, that very thing happened. And since he was never crowned king, certainly he has not ruled and reigned on the throne of David forever. So, was Jesus a massive failure? Jews who reject Jesus as the Messiah and Gentiles that would reject Jesus as the Messiah, they would give a really loud yes to that question. Yes, Jesus was a failure. He fulfilled none of these prophecies, and he's definitely not the son of David, and he certainly is not the king of the Jews. So he isn't the Messiah. Um, You know, I talked with uh, one of my Jewish professors in my undergrad. I took a Hebrew Bible course. Um, My professor is is Jewish, um, is, but practicing. That's a different question. Um, But I remember going to his office one day. We had a two-hour conversation about Jesus and the Messiah and the the Old Testament prophecies. And I mean, I was just starting to eat it up. I was going to a Messianic synagogue at the time, really starting to get uh, uh, down at Baruch Hashem, which uh, many of you know we love, um, getting ingrained in what the scriptures say about the Messiah and how Jesus has fulfilled him. So for two hours, we're talking about this. Um, And I'm I'm 19 years old, maybe 20. It's like, I don't remember. Um, I was I was in, I was a young lad. Um, when Richard Hickman sits close enough to me, just the the inner Brit comes out of me. Um, I was a wee lad talking to my <laughs> Jewish professor, and his wife comes in, and she joins the conversation. 
And I'm asking a lot of questions, and we're, we're, we're talking about these Old Testament prophecies. And she says, Matthew, if Jesus was the Messiah, why didn't he restore the kingdom of Israel? I want to believe. I just, I just don't understand. And it, it just hit me in that moment, the reality. Which in essence, she was asking, Jesus didn't fulfill any of those prophecies. If you're saying he's the Messiah, how, how is it that he fulfilled not one of them? And, and so I, I don't even remember what I answered. I gave the best answer I knew at the time. Um, um, but, but, but Jesus, the, the, I think a lot of Jews are asking this question. These are what the prophecies say. And we as Gentile Christians, we've got to get in our Old Testament, guys. We've got to know what the prophets have been saying about Jesus Christ. Because he fulfilled these in, in two ways that we're going to talk about. Um, um, he fulfilled these in a heavenly way, and he fulfilled these in an earthly way. And so people have looked at Jesus and said, he didn't fulfill them. He's not the Messiah, but they're wrong. He did fulfill them. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those that, that do not believe. But Jesus is the King of the Jews. He is the Son of David. And he has fulfilled every single one of these prophecies. So today we're going to talk about the heavenly way that Jesus fulfilled these. How in a heavenly way did Jesus become king and sit on his throne? Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. He told Pontius Pilate as he was being crucified, my kingdom is not of this world. Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he, he didn't start a political revolution and overthrow the, uh, the, the Roman emperor. What did he do instead? He overthrew the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the fallen angel. He disarmed the principalities and powers. He triumphed over them through his death on the cross. He overcame death and the grave. As he rose, he said, I took the keys of death and hell. And he rose again and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ triumphed over every demonic principality and power. He overthrew the kingdom of darkness by his death and his resurrection. He was buried. He descended into hell, but he didn't, and he rose again, but he didn't just rise. He ascended into heaven. Ephesians 4.8, he ascended on high. He led, host, he led a host of captives from the grave. In Hebrews 1, he made purification for our sins through his death on the cross, and then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down in the throne of heaven, a heavenly throne. <laughs> a man, a Jewish man, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guys, it's okay to get excited about this. <laughs> this Jewish man is a heavenly king. <laughs> And he is ruling and he is reigning with all authority from this throne, even now as we speak. Until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. How in a heavenly way did he regather the lost sheep of Israel? Well, he gathered them from all the nations on the day of Pentecost. Jews from all over the, the region 
came to that, that, uh, that celebration um, 50 days after, after, after Jesus rose from the dead. And God, he pours out his spirit and they begin speaking the languages of all the nations. And, and, and Jews from all across the land, they're hearing the, the praises of God in their own language. God gathered them in one place and he fills Peter with the spirit. He preaches a message with power. They're cut to the heart and they say, what must I do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that day, 3,000 Jews were gathered into the kingdom of, of God. They were gathered into the kingdom of heaven. And this gospel went out through, through Jerusalem, through Judea. Thousands upon thousands of Jews were getting saved. If you read your book of Acts, friends, it, actually a number of, of priests and rabbis were putting faith in Jesus. You know, we look at that and we're like, oh, all the, the Pharisees, they all rejected him. No, a, a large number actually started accepting him. Not the majority, but a good number of them started to because they saw, they read the prophecies. And there were even Jews that Paul would go to the synagogue and he would preach. And they said, you know what, Paul? We're going to go back and we're going to study the scriptures and see what you had to say. And through reading the prophecies of the Old Testament, they came and said, you know what, Paul? You're right. This man, Jesus, he is the king of the Jews. He is the son of David. He is our Messiah. But what about today? Don't most Jews today reject Jesus as Messiah? Yes. And so do most Gentiles. But there's a movement of Jews that are starting to call in the name of Jesus. There is a movement of Jews all across the earth. God has been regathering his people physically to the land of Israel, which we'll talk about more next week. But these are believers in Jesus that are living in that land. Today, as we speak, there is a, a, a house of prayer that cries out day and night, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Beloved, the veil is being removed. The hardness over Israel is being removed right now. And eyes are being opened and they are saying, Jesus, this man whom we handed over to the Gentiles is Lord and Messiah. And I tell you, I think one of the main ways that a softness and a tenderness is going to come to the hearts of Jews that have rejected Jesus is when we recognize this Jesus as the King of the Jews. When we see the significance of who he is as the son of David, his Jewishness, and that the earth is going to be ruled by a Jewish man named Jesus forever. And that though the Father has disciplined Israel as sons, his favor has not left them, left them. And he will gather them back to his heart. How in a heavenly way did Jesus rally the nations and become a banner of victory for them? Well, his first disciples, who were all Jews, they received power when the Holy Spirit came on them, and they were witnesses not only to, to Judea and to Samaria, but to all the ends of the earth. 
that this gospel started going out to the Gentiles and droves and droves of Gentiles start coming into the kingdom of God. He's becoming a banner of victory over them, victory over the kingdom of darkness. And to this day, as we speak, from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, his name is made great among the Gentiles. And it will go across every nation. And this gospel will be preached to every nation. And then the end will come. Yes. <sighs> Beloved, this gospel, is, 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 it's, it's, it's increasing. The momentum is increasing in our day. And that people that have never heard this name before, they are hearing it in this day. This Bible is getting translated. There are people actively involved in getting this word translated into all of these unreached people groups. The nations are hearing about the king of the Jews. And finally, how in a heavenly way did Jesus, the son of David, the king of the Jews, build the temple of the Lord? He made a temple of living stones, a temple of human hearts, a temple of flesh. And he dwells inside of those who call on the name of Jesus. Jew and Gentile, one temple, one house, one family, one dwelling of God in the spirit. Ephesians 2.21 says this, We are carefully joined together in him, Jews and Gentiles, who call on Jesus' name, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. In 1 Peter 2.5, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And even more, you are his holy priests. We who call on his name, we are the temple of the Lord that he has built and his spirit dwells on the inside of us. Worship team, if you'll come up. So this Jesus, whom his own Jewish brethren handed over to Gentiles, to be crucified, is both Lord and Messiah. He is the King of the Jews. He is the Son of David. He dethroned Satan, the ruler of this age. He defeated death and hell. He rose again from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to this man, and all of his enemies even now, are being made a footstool for his feet. Multitudes of Jews and Gentiles throughout history have called on his name. Together we are being made into this holy temple, this house of God, this dwelling place of his spirit. So he has fulfilled, and he continues to fulfill all of these prophecies of 2 Samuel 7 and of the Old Testament in a heavenly way. And he has begun, and he will complete their fulfillment in an earthly way at his second coming, which we'll discuss next week.